really thrilled to have in the studio, Flip Nicklin. I've had a chance over the years to talk to you now about four or five times, and Flip Nicklin is a world-famous whale photographer. He has, well, he put out about ten books, but there's four or five, if you go to Amazon right now, that look really good that are up there. On top of that, he is also the co-founder of the uh, Whale Trust. He's with uh, National Geographic and gets to do a tours with them, which, I mean, I could go on and on and on because the National Geographic tours, Flip, are considered to be like the dream, the dream ones you could go on, right? They, they, they really are. My, my wife and I both work with the Lindblad Geographic tours, and uh, and sometimes at the end of the summer when you feel like you'd go on, want to go on vacation to realize we're really going on vacation with a bunch of friends and uh, and we're getting paid to do it and to share what we know about the places, Alaska, the Antarctic, wherever we're going. And there's even a, uh, a Galapagos trip mm. with Geographic as one of our ways to donate to Whale Tales this year. I so if you look on the website, it, it's a great trip. Oh, my gosh. We're going to have to just do a whole show on that. Sure. So how many times have you been to the Galapagos? Oh, Probably a dozen. I, I went there the first few times. I went. I never went on land. I was down looking at sperm whales with research offshore, and then I started doing the geographic trips, which are on land and in the water. And uh, it's an it's a place everybody should go just to find out where our ideas come from with Darwin and people like that. And that's a very good point. Very good point. You know, um, you, I, I, I think you got involved with the Whale Trust about six, twelve years ago. Now it's been about twelve yeah, years, I, I, right? I, I, oh well, whale tales. Whale's tales. Whale tales. Yes. Whale trust started, uh, I would think, two thousand one. Mm-hmm. But we, uh, yes, we, we, a, a part of what we do was was to do research, and that's the main thing we're doing here. Yeah. But also to publish that research, both in scientific peer reviews and also in uh, popular uh, National Geographic, primarily, but also working with films to to find out what the story is and share the story. And in two thousand six. Folks from Kapalua came up and uh, at a dinner, uh, the late Gary Planos was the golf pro there. And at the end of dinner said, my boss is interested in doing some kind of a benefit, maybe around Wales. Do you have an idea? So he lied and said we did. And and that turned out into them supporting the first couple of years and trying to figure out how we could take what we're learning out in front of town here with the little boats with the yellow flags or learning studying whales. And share it with the community so you know what they're doing and ask for community support. Mm-hmm. And it started out very small. Uh, the first year, I gave two talks. My father gave two talks. My wife gave a talk. And a few friends from Geographic and local researchers came. And it's grown into being a, uh, a very talked about place to come and talk in the uh, whale research community. It's so true. And it's going to be this weekend, folks. Starting on Friday the 16th and going through next Monday the 19th with um, this Ritz, the fabulous Ritz-Carl uh, being the starting site on Friday. And um, then the Saturday also at the Ritz with the Whale Watches and Education Art Expos. And then Sunday, uh, Benefit Whale Watches and Education Art Expos still at the Ritz. And on Monday, it goes to the Hyatt Regency and there'll be hands-on science, art, technology and activities. And we'll be talking a lot about the films and What's going to be going on with that? But going back to your roots again, your father 
got you started at a young age. Your father was actually very much a sea person. He had, didn't he have a dive well, shop? In, we had a dive shop in San Diego mm-hmm. in the 50s, late 50s. And in 1963, my father had inherited a couple cameras from one of the first diving instructors at Scripps Institute. Oh, my. And he was out with buddies trying to figure out how to work the cameras. Yeah. And he had a movie camera and a still camera. And they found a trapped whale off of La Jolla in, in Southern California. And they, they jumped in. They I mean, whales were not what they are today. And, and, and they jumped in. And one guy had a spear gun to protect him. The other guy went to look at the whale. It was caught by the anchor line to a gill net. So it wasn't going anywhere, and my dad photographed it, and he filmed it. And then at the end of it, he, uh, being a small businessman, seeing a business opportunity, he crawled up on the back of the whale and had his picture taken. And that led him to be in the newspapers and, and also to going back to New York City and being on a TV celebrity game show at the time called To Tell the Truth. I remember To Tell the Truth. And he was one of those guys telling the real story. <laughs> and a guy from National Geographic, Bates Littlehales, saw the TV show, got in touch with my dad. They became great friends. But my dad was a whale expert. He'd seen one. (laughs) I love it. That's a great story. That's a great story. Well, we all know how respected National Geographic is. And it's kind of like... Well, I have to say at that time, I'm sure it was a boys' club. There were not many women involved. Well, right? There were a few, Jody Cobb and a few, but yes, it was a, a very clubby, very mm-hmm. family businessy. Yeah. But that led us to Maui because my mm-hmm. dad, because of that and meeting the people from National Geographic, came to Maui to do humpback whales the first time. The first two stories that National Geographic did that featured the whales here were in 1976. My dad worked on that with Bill Kurtzinger, and in 1979, he came back again. Wow. And did that story, and I did all the stories after that uh, uh, that featured this area. So it was... Uh, that was in the early days. Yeah, early days and having no idea. We, 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 my dad came out and dove with us in 1999, and we were looking at a bunch of the things we're studying today. And he looked down, and he, he pulled me aside and said, were they always doing all this stuff? Because they were just looking for a friendly whale or a cow calf, just any whale they get a picture of. Yeah. They had no idea all the things they were doing out here. Uh-huh. Well, it's so evolved since then, my gosh. I mean, my mind kind of boggles at, at what has happened and, and all the information and how you just become as an industry now, too. As you know, back then, the whales were an endangered species. When I came here in 1979, I worked on an IMAX. My dad was, became the second camera guy to all kinds of films. And, and people would ask him, and he'd tell them people he was the second best whale photographer. I said, well, who's the best? He said, whoever hires me this week. <laughs> but I came to shoot production shows on an IMAX film and met all these researchers that were working here. At that point, humpback whales were protected in 1966. In 79, there were probably less than 1,500 humpbacks in the North Pacific. We did a big survey that ended in 2006 where they found that now there are eighteen to 20,000, and they've continued to grow. My, my guess would be they're over twenty five to 30,000. So they've come back. They've been tremendously successful. Mm-hmm. And we were out this morning, and one of the things we've noted this year is there's so many whales right now. There's just unbelievable numbers of whales. We never saw cows and calves close together. And the last few days, we see three or four cows and calves really close to each other. And, yeah. and it's amazing. It is amazing. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, you have done 
gosh, thousands and thousands of pictures of whales. <laughs> and if people, you know, have seen some of your great photography, I mean, you're really famous for that. You became, over the years, considered the most famous whale photographer. And with some great photographs, you even had, you, you told me a great story how there was a book you didn't even know you did that's in the, <laughs> the Smithsonian put together a book and used your photographs. And then they had someone else write the stories, right? Well, it, 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 you know, what was great is, is I, I met the researchers working here. And that's where all this comes from. And I would come in, and I forgot my job was I came in. My father had done the film Gentle Giants of the Pacific. Oh, really? Gentle Giants Drifting Through the Blue Abyss, blah, blah, blah. And when I met Jim Darling out here in the IMAX film, mm-hmm. he, we looked down. There were a bunch of males chasing a female, and he was going, get pictures of those bloody head knobs. And I was going, well, that doesn't sound like gentle giants to me. And so it's not. No. But if you don't understand and appreciate these animals for what they are, then you don't appreciate them, and you won't make good decisions about them. So I thought my job was taking what we think about whales, finding out what we're learning about whales with science, and try and bring people along, but keep the magic and the love of whales as you're doing it. And that's basically been the career. And a bunch of the people coming this weekend, that's what they do. They give us more information about whales and still keep the magic alive. Can we go down the list? We can. Uh, Make sure my glasses are right. John Ford. John Ford, a pioneer uh, killer whale researcher, and uh, I met him in, in working here. He's one. We had five boats of little researchers. All the whole idea of looking at living whales was new. John, as a as a master, as a grad student, thought he could tell different groups of killer whales by their sound, by listening to them, and it was voodoo science at the time. Well, he turned out to be right, and he yeah. ended up at the end of his career running the Canadian programs on marine mammals for Can- the Canadian government in Western wow. Canada. So he went from voodoo science to top scientist. Wow. Uh, Is he going to be on Friday? He's going to be on Friday. Marty Wolf. And Mar- I should say the time because I didn't before. It starts really right after noon, 12.30 p.m., and it goes to 5.30 p.m. on Friday. Um, but there will be a couple breakdown sessions. There's also a 2 p.m. to 5.30 presentation, right? Because there's two parts. There's the Education Art Expo at the Ritz, and then yeah. there's also the presentation. Right, the, yes. Uh, Marty Wolf is going to talk on Friday. And Marty, I remember his M- Marty's great. Mar- yeah. uh, we, we started out, and it was all science, documentary photography, and education, because that's what we knew. And I met Marty a few years ago, who's an artist, and who's an artist telling the story of whales and whale watching at a level really beyond, beyond anything I dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And he's a hilarious character. I mean, he's fun, he's uh, funny, and uh, and he's really taken taking whale-watching pictures from whale-watching boats legally to a completely new level. So he, we put him on, he brings whatever friends he wants to talk about, whales, whale art, and whale-watching, and it's always, I never know what he's going to do, but I know it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. He's become a great friend and, and, uh, and been, has a whole new dimension. He's, oh, yes. You know. no, he, I think this is his fourth year or so. Mm-hmm. No, he's a, a tremendous addition. Uh, Christine Gabriel uh, works in Alaska, close to where we live in Alaska, uh, with whales at, at, in Glacier Bay. She also is doing work on the Big Island, and she's with a group of people uh, that are studying a, a bunch of the things, whale song, migration, uh, uh, looking at whales and whale behavior on the Big Island, and she's done that for years. Well, there's a fascination with the whale song. and still a lot to be learned, and some think only, and I've heard people say it's only the males. That's what we learned. That do the song, which yeah. is very interesting. Yeah, uh, the so some fir- wonder if it's territory or if it's a way for you to, to actually communicate and find each other. And 
there's still a lot being d- well, we, we've discovered. been looking at when I met Jim darling mm-hmm. on March 10th 1979 we found the first singing whale that we could find underwater mm. we called him Frank because he was <laughs> this, he was the sixth whale of the day a b c d e f F is in Frank. Oh, I thought it was for Frank Sinatra. Everybody thinks that, or Frankie Valley, or one of those characters. And and on that day, Jim asked if I could dive down and free dive under this whale and shoot pictures of its genitals to find out whether it was a male or a female. I don't think he told me how loud they were. Is and it really as that loud? It's, it's 160 decibels. It's like a jet engine loud. It really is. And as I got down, and this is snorkeling down, as I got under the tail, you can feel your whole body, your air spaces, wow. and your sinus. And, I mean, you almost can't think. It's just pounding on you. And just wow. as I got under and started to take a picture of the tail, the tail started to lift up above me. And every Gregory Peck scene with Moby Dick came back right then. And what he was doing was looking back to see who was underneath his genitals blowing bubbles. Which, uh, you know, I you, bet that you, would make you him can think understand. twice. But we found out with Frank, and then I came back the next year to do more pictures. We identified all the singers we could find, and all the singers we've ever been able to find sex of have all been males. You know, and I've, as much as I've heard, and I've heard quite a few whale songs with the mics going down, but I never knew they were that loud, you know, because you hear them underwater and you don't know how far they are right, away because right. it carries so long and far. But to be right on top of it, it was that loud. So we, 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 when I started using uh, small video cameras, we'd go down with rebreathers to sit on the back of whale, not in the back, but close to the singer underwater, mm-hmm. and it would blow out the speakers when two dives. Seriously. It just shred the little baffles in the speakers because it, it's, a, it's an amazing sound. We when we're, we're been talking about uh, Jim will be talking. Jim Darling will be talking about whale song, and what we're doing now. Uh, and we've we've worked at answering a bunch of those questions. We know we don't know what whale song is exactly, but we know a bunch of things it's not. But in, and then some people think it changes from year to year. Oh, it it does, and we yeah, it is continually changing. Mm-hmm. It changes and moves around. And one of the studies we're doing now, that Jim's probably going to talk about, he talked about it earlier this year, uh, was we look at Mexico, we look at uh, Japan, we look at the Philippines in here and look and see how those changes and how those songs differ. But but each each year, uh, as you come here in January, you get a song and it will be different by the end of the season. And when it comes back to next year, it'll be subtly different. And you see that some of those changes are incorporated in the other locations that leads us to assume they're they're moving from place to place and the different populations are probably interacting. So there's an integration of the sounds. Well, that's that, and that's it. And the idea is to try and do science that also helps with conservation issues and, and conservation decisions and knowing whether they're mixing populations or not is one of those big questions. And it's interesting because I'd never even considered it until we started this talk today. You said the killer whales have a different sound with their song than the the, then, uh, the well, and, and John's Do stuff, the blue whales and other whales have different? They're all really different. And and, mm-hmm. and one of those things, and I think Kate, Kate Stafford, one of the people coming uh, a couple years ago, this is all over the map, but that's the great thing. It's we're going to have people talking about stuff they do, mm-hmm. not that they read about, not that they studied, and people can ask them and find out what's going on, the details. But a few years ago, and, and I'm the photographer, so I'm interpreting the science as yeah. a photographer. But J- Jim got a, a a call, and there was some whale song they from from the Sivakots from off of eastern Russia, oh. and they're asking what kind of humpback is this, and do you know this song? And it wasn't a humpback song. 
it was a uh, a bowhead whale, the northern right ah. whale that's up north of Alaska and up in those areas, and sort of looking at it. And not only was the sound very intricate and very different, but bowheads could sing two themes at the same time. Wow! So that there's they are different. Blue whales are a low moan. Uh, even even humpback whale stuff. The the song is different than than than, than other communications. If, I if, if you're under singing two songs at the same time, that's well, so amazing. It, what a, it, what a uh, concept. They, 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 we have the tools are better. Uh-huh. The people know more. There's just flooding stuff wow. coming in all the time. There's just a. Uh, uh, a, a big conference in Halifax where you get 2,000 researchers together showing all the new stuff and, and little things. We're better to, 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 to do presentations on how song is changing. Uh, we have better tools for measurement. I mean, just the drones and getting aerial views has changed a bunch of what we look at. But it's, uh, we're, it was described, Jim, Jim Darling was talking to a geographic researcher, and she, after talking to him, said, well, it sounds like you folks, us, the guys that started in the 70s, have discovered a new continent and the next generation gets to find out what's in the interior. And I think that's probably a very good. Well, and again, folks, this is Friday, and it's done by donation, a suggested donation. I think is uh, is it $20? $20 bucks would be great. And, yeah. and we, we encourage more, but if you threw yeah. 20 bucks in, that would be great. And and then um, this is we're going down the list Friday at the Ritz-Carlton with, uh, if you just tuned in, with Flip, Flip Nicklin, one of the world's. Well, sa- Saturday or now, yeah. Okay, so Saturday we're still at the Ritz, and that starts early in the morning at 7 with Benefit Whale Watchers, going to about 11.30 a.m. if people want to sign up for those. Are there going to be some well, of the And the speak- presentations are in the afternoon, so that's, okay. that, yeah. And do some of the people who are talking going out on the yeah, whale watches? Yeah, they are. And and you can get a full list at the at the Whale Trust site or the Whale Tales site that I'm sure we've got there. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but, but uh, let me go to the other Saturday sure. people. We, we mentioned By the Jim. way, it's welltrust.org. Yeah, okay. It's just, yeah. okay, welltrust.org. Okay. But we've got Jim Darling, and Jim Darling is who I started with, who's been studying whale song and, and gray whale work for years and years. Oh. And since he came here surfing in the mid-60s and saw a bunch of whales and stayed, and he's uh-huh. one of the real pioneers. Uh Kathy Moran is a senior editor at National Geographic for Natural History, and she's been there her whole career. She's been there since the early 80s, and she's the main wildlife person. If you're going to do a whale story, and she's going to talk about just that, about how how our views of wildlife have changed and natural history have changed over time at National Geographic. And, of course, National Geographic has changed with it now with its great own channel and all the what you can see and involved in and everything well, now, that's involved. And now Disney has bought all that, so it'll be really interesting to it's see true. where it's going. Uh, Ralph Lee Hopkins. Ralph Lee Hopkins, uh, if you loved the idea of traveling with National Geographic and Lindblad, yeah. he's their main photographer for Lindblad. And he's oh, a my. tremendous photographer. Uh, he's also been very generous. And for the last few years, he's led a small, very exclusive uh, whale photography expedition here where he'd go early in the morning and late in the mm-hmm. afternoons with, with, with very good guides and, and especially to try and take nice whale pictures legally offshore and with big donations to whale research as they're doing that. This year he's starting the same thing in Alaska where we live in mm-hmm. Juneau, but I think they sold out in 20 hours or something like that. But that, that idea of taking people out, looking at whales, photographing whales with people who are thoughtful about it and know what you're looking at is – is is been very very popular, and he's going to be out with one of the whale watches. He's going to be on whale watches, and he's going to show so his stuff. So you can pick he, his brain and follow he, his. And he's and he's, he's he very knowledgeable. He's he's a great photographer. 
on Sunday, we have Scott Kraus and his wife, uh, Rosalind Rowland. Scott, they they work with uh, probably the most endangered big whale today. The the well, we hit both the North Pacific and the North Atlantic. The North Atlantic right whale is very very small population. They they've had big losses in the last couple of years, and it's it's the right whale because it it was the right whale to hunt. It was. Uh, had very good fat content, and when you, mm. it swam slow, and when you killed it, it floated. So in the wow. old days of whaling with rowboats, it was the whale to get. But it's very, very endangered, and he's been working as long as I've known him for, for almost 40 years uh, on the issues with right whales in the North Atlantic. And, and not a lot of people talk about those whales here. Well, they do on the East Coast. It's, yeah. it's a big, big issue on the East Coast. and mm-hmm. we, we are so lucky here. To have a happy story. You know, yeah. if, if you're working here, you've got whales that are doing very well. They're coming back. Whatever we're doing, mm-hmm. we're doing it right. Mm-hmm. You know, the, between the whale watching and the research, uh, there's some great stories of return of harbor porpoise to San Francisco Bay. But there's other populations like the North Pacific and the North Atlantic right whales that are really on the edge and maybe disappearing. And, and that, will be, that will be a sad thing. But at least... Here's someone that takes that big issue and, and, and can tell you firsthand what's going on today. And they're protected, I assume. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, it hasn't stopped them from disappearing. Yeah. it's, it's it, I mean, no one's, it, They're not being killed on purpose. They're not being – mm-hmm. it is uh, uh, ship strikes. They're very slow. They, they tend to swim in, in, in shipping lanes. Oh, my. Uh, but, but here's someone who I, – I know the, the published issues. He'll know what has, hasn't been said yet. And having okay. those guys along will be great. Yeah. Uh, Ed Lyman is always wonderful. I mean, Ed with Disentanglement of Whales, and I worked with him on a number of, of, of issues, both in Alaska and here, and he'll give us the latest in what we're doing to take whales with gear on them and set them free. I always, always kid him about going back to when my dad found that whale tangled up. And, and actually, the whale my dad found, it was 1963, at the end of it, he dived down snorkeling, took the line off the tail of the whale, and the whale swam around way and was fine but uh well i should but, mention but there's you, much better gear for doing that today and you do free diving because you had to do that kind of a lot of that stuff you couldn't have done right and you do with free driving you have a, some kind of flexibility and also you could take pictures without bubbles and things like that it's you, it's fast and easy with research and and some of them some of the things that are happening the new gear so remotes uh drones mm-hmm. uh rebreathers i think there's going to be all kinds of exciting new ways to look at whales coming up. and uh, I have to ask you about that because, I mean, I find that the drones can be very noisy above water. I would imagine they're noisy underwater. We already have a lot of noise pollution. How do you feel about the fact that people well, may be going down there with drones that might be noisy? Well, for, well for, there's a big sound loss through the surface. Mm-hmm. I, I, I doubt that drones bother humpbacks. Mm-hmm. There's a 60 dB loss through the surface temperature. I think if you flew them really close and put a shadow over their eye, they might react and stuff. But we're doing drone work. We have all the permits and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you have to be cautious about the animals and not do something, not do get to get close. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure exactly what the rules are for the public. But for us, we have to have special permits and things to, mm-hmm. to do that kind of thing. But the, the overall view is tremendous. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we're incorporating that in when we start seeing what we saw and what we interpreted back from the 70s to what we can see now and how uh, we started doing a bunch of measuring of whales with helicopters mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'd be up there and what I'd see from the helicopter would be that a whale would come in, a singer near Jim's boat, 
the whales would change, do behaviors, and disappear. The boat would never see it. But from the air, you could see that. Oh, so, really? So getting those bigger views of behavior, huh. again, for the science, for the science that ties mm-hmm. together all the other stuff. I think whale watching is great. I think going out with a bunch of people, having fun, looking at whales, and making a guess of what that behavior is, is, is great. Having your own theory of why they're doing what. Trying to figure out how you prove that, mm-hmm. how you measure that and get it through peer review, then, then it becomes more work as you go along. Well, and of course, we're blessed here because we respect that. But they're tr- starting, I think, finally in Japan and other places to realize there can be money in whale watches rather than killing whales, you know. Oh, and um, yeah, I think it's real. One of the, one, one of the things I do at, at Whale Trust is work as liaison to our big donors and, and board members. So they take some of the stuff that they get from the Internet, and I can help interpret it towards and compare it to what we know scientifically. And one of the things, with Jim Darling and a guy named Koji Nakamura, in the mid-'80s, we set up a whale-watching research uh, program in southern Japan that's been successful and very popular for years and years, mm-hmm. and no one ever talks about it. It's, it's, it's different from the commercial whaling. It's different from the guys in the Antarctic. Mm-hmm. But like all, all, it's all more interesting and complex than it's presented. But those guys, those whale watchers in Ogasarawa in southern Japan, are as defensive and protective of whales as anybody you'd ever want to be around. Do they still kill whales in Japan, or is it done illegally? I know they were trying to stop that. They were selling whale meat in Japan. I don't have to feel we still kill whales, too. Not. Yeah, we're the third biggest whaling nation. Don't say that. I'm sorry. Oh, no. We do. I didn't know that. Yeah. You mean because of the Alaskans yeah. or the, the native a- yeah. Alaskans and they sell it? Yeah. No, well, they, they eat it and they trade it with friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, 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 all of that. I, again, I mean, it's all of the stuff. I hate to get into yeah, the no, stuff Yeah, no, no, but it's good, too. But one of those things with whale trips is you can catch me and catch one of those guys Take us over for a cup of coffee or off the site and talk about it. If you want mm-hmm. to talk about poly- stuff away from just the, the simplified version of stuff, there will be a bunch of people there that know in depth what happens at meetings and know, you know, what the, there's as many politics and legalities and confusions with mm. whales as with anything else. Wow. And yet there's a bunch of successes. And, again, coming back to here, this is one of those big successes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank God. I mean, because I think that can be, be an inspiration for the rest of the world, right? Exactly. Yeah, and, and and I think you know it is it is uh, where we can see it. We live right by a harbor in 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 Alaska, and we see we'd see one or two whales a year come through and mm-hmm. feed near the harbor. This year, we had four whales in the harbor for two weeks. How you know, nice. so things are just changing. Do you in, still in want a, to go? Is it too cold for you just to go dive out there? Or do you do that? Do well, you don't, go don't dive, dive, but you could go down. Imagine like Lahaina Harbor. Uh-huh. And the f- best photography was running along the dock, shooting from the dock. Uh-huh. It was very cool. I bet. I bet. And you still go back and forth from Alaska. Oh, I live in Alaska. Right? That, yeah. that, that's our main thing. Okay, let, so let, Sunday still. Let, let me finish yes. up with Joe Mobley, and he's going to be there. Joe's one of the long-term researchers here for years and years. Uh-huh. Works with a bunch of research projects and, and, and film projects. And this is a Disney treatment of, of, of natural history that he worked on here that they're going to present there. And uh, it should be great. And, and, and Jill Mickelson. Jill Mickelson has worked with Dan Salden uh, in the old Hawaii Whale Research Foundation. And Jill has been, but she's just been a goddess for bringing whale, whale watching people and companies into supporting research in the area. And we just have more and more of the, of the whale watching companies coming in and wanting to take you know the the experts we have coming in out on the boat. And it's become a, a big source of funding for research from the whale watching boats. And it, it's it's 
one of those things Whale Tales has done has made the politics in the harbor, uh, raising money and sharing with other research groups and having uh, a pool of, of, of funding that goes out to, to not just us but other folks and makes the, the, the Whale Research, Whale Watch guys see that, that you can find out what we're doing, share it, and they want to be part of it. And it's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely it is. Because, I mean, everyone loves the National Geographic people, and you don't get a chance to mix and talk and meet and learn from them too often. But in this particular situation, with the uh, schedule events you have this Friday through Monday. And Monday, Monday's at the Hyatt. Mm-hmm. And this is new. This is a family day, and there's a bunch of things there. The things I know most about, the Big Pacific will be featured, which is a film that Jason Sturgis worked on. Jason showed up here. I don't know, 15 years ago and wanted to come on the boat and work with us as a as a videographer and has been, I think for two or three years he was my assistant. Now I think I was him, his assistant. But now he's shooting for BBC and shooting, he oh. did, did, did stuff for Pacific Life and he worked on this big series and they're going to show the series. That will be wonderful stuff. Do you know the time on that? I don't, but I'm sure it's on the website. Sometime between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Uh, yeah, and I, I, that, again, is um, happening Monday at the Hyatt for this particular day. And McGilfrey Freeman, they're the IMAX people. Mm-hmm. And they did the humpback, the IMAX film a couple of years ago that we worked on that was a tremendous IMAX film about humpback whales. That, mm-hmm. that 1979 humpback uh, IMAX we worked on was the first underwater IMAX. The new IMAX is so much better. I mean, it's just beautiful stuff. And they're here with uh, Dream, Dream Big, Big, which works for IMAX. Engineering right? Our World. And and they have been a tremendous sponsor. And they, they have just sort of adopted us and figured ways to come back and do something with us every year for the last few years. And we hope they keep coming back over and over again. I wonder what Engineering Our World means. I, I don't know, but it, um, it, it's bound to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, um, again, you mentioned about um, Disney uh, getting involved um, with National Geographic, which is a big deal. But in your, So you have Disney's Nature's uh, behind-the-scene footage preview of Disney's Nature's Dolphins. Yep. So I hadn't even heard about the Dolphins. That's a brand well, new and, and they, they, they got the okay. A bunch of stuff hasn't been out. That, that's been sort of amazing to me, the group after group, and you know them because you work with them or they're old friends, want to show stuff or bits and pieces of stuff that hasn't even come out yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one thing that can be frustrating is when you're doing the research, when you know something, when you're pretty pretty sure of it, and when you can get it through peer review, maybe two or three years, mm-hmm. to be able to at least give people a hint of what's happening now is uh, is really fun. And people have great questions, and, and lots of people come and drag you off and say, okay, I've heard this, what's really going on? Th- that's really a, a, a very fun part of the whole event. And I didn't mention, you have a, you do have a good book out on dolphins as well. Uh, dolphin Face-to-Face, I think. Yeah, we dolphins? have two kids. My wife and I did two kids' books for National Geographic, Face-to-Face with Whales and Face-to-Face with Dolphins. And they're really fun. They're, they're aimed at sort of six- to nine-year-olds. But uh, Linda, my wife, was really uh, – she wanted to do a kid book where you didn't have to apologize for what you told them years later. Mm. So it's, it's very real information, mm-hmm. but at a children's level that is easy for them to deal with. Well – it's always so amazing when you go on a whale watching to see a kid's face the first time they see a whale. The first time they see a whale getting out of the water, whale up close. I mean, you know that it's making an impression on them for life. Yeah. 
I mean, of course, it did at you because you were pretty young when you first saw, went out with the whales, right? Oh, oh yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I, I think getting one of the wonderful things, I mean, the whale watching part of this whole thing, to get people out there, whether it's doing a, a day trip here or one of these National Geographic uh, Limblad expeditions, to, to be there and talk about what we know and what we're learning and what it all fits into the system of things while you're looking at the animal in in the wild. Mm-hmm. It, I, when geographic started, it was to, uh, you know, to capture and disseminate geographic knowledge around the world. To do that while you're in the field looking at what you're talking about, it's wonderful. Now, there's got to be certain tips that you have learned over all the years. Now, you've been doing this for like 50 years of whale photographs. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I see, you know, it's amazing. And I have a good camera too. And I have a bad camera. I have my iPhone. I have my Canons. I, but you know what? You land up taking your phones and you see people go out and hope they see a whale out there. And next thing you know, they're holding up their iPhone thinking they're going to get a picture of this whale that's out there. And it's like, I said, you know, if that's going to come out like a little dot there. I'll give two things. Okay. Two things. One is if you have a camera that has all these scene modes, you know, it's got all these different things, pictures of a flower, there'll be a sports mode, Mm -hmm. which is an action mode. Mm -hmm. Put it on that because for for whales and doing activity, that's it. Mm -hmm. The second thing, I don't care what kind of camera you have, have, including an iPhone, the best stuff on your whale watch will happen close to the boat. Mm -hmm. It all won't. But sometimes, sometimes during that trip, the guys with long lenses will wish they had an iPhone. I hadn't thought of that. Be ready for that. (laughs) Well, you know, and and we've seen this happen. As you said, there's so many whales out there now. I mean, that, you know, you have the the reality is you have more chance to see whales and photograph whales because there's more whales out there in the sea, you know. And, uh, of course, you're never allowed to chase after us, but the no. whales do come. Oh, they come to you. They yeah. come. They do We come had whales here. today. We were watching an active group out there, and they disappeared for the longest time. And for some reason, I just looked down, and one of them was under the boat, upside down, looking at the boat. <laughs> you really? Know? You know, and, and you know, that happens. One other thing, and this was the, well, the, first, for the first whale quest, the first time we did one of these events, there was a, a, a gentleman in the front row saying, how can I take whale pictures as good of the pictures I take of wildlife in Africa? And I thought about that. And finally, we said, well, how much time did you spend in Africa trying to shoot wildlife? He said, 10 days, all day, every day. And he said, how much time whale watching? Two hours. Yeah. If you go on whale, more whale watchers, you'll see more stuff. Yeah. No, it's true. And then you have the shades. There's the blue, the blue, the blue, you know. You're out in nature in Africa. You got a lot of yellows. You had a lot of you know different kind of colors. But you know when you're doing whale pictures, you're going to have blue. You're going to deal with all kinds of shades of blue. Yeah. You know, and and on top of that, you're dealing with a big subject. You know, if you're up close, it's a big subject. You you know, I imagine it's more than you can't get it in even in a wide angle lens if you're up close diving close to it, right? So that's one of the tricks. Yeah, really wide lenses and and working close to big animals. But, but again, go at sunset. Mm-hmm. All that blue turns to gold, and it can be that's very a nice. good point. Yeah, there's you always know, that I mean, that, 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 that's something that comes up in every geographic story. You can't yeah. have too much blue. But, yeah. but uh, one of the things we're doing this year is more uh, not only uh, sunset trips. We're doing some evening trips. Oh, really? Uh, and, and, and you can well, find them on Can you see the, the whales in the evening? No, but you can hear them. So you go out at sunset, you shoot until the sun goes down, uh-huh. and then socialize out there. And actually around uh, this area, in a lot of areas, they sometimes sing more at night than the daytime. 
So you're out there. It's a nice evening. You have a little snack and uh, and listen to whales and talk about what whales are doing. So I've heard that they've never been able to photograph whales mating. Is that true? Well, not humpback whales. Humpback whales, right? Uh, yeah, the other whales. Yeah, like bright whales. They pieces are coming over here the whole time. Uh, yeah, and 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 it may be. You know, we have better tools all the time. We have drones and stuff. We haven't yeah. seen it. Uh, uh, and and that's a big question. And, and one of the things we have three studies right now. One, the song work we've done for a long time. Uh, females, female choices. Uh, what the female state is in their choices. Uh, trying to figure pregnancy state and where you, you can't you, to find out when mating happens. You have to, you have to figure out when. You can't figure what's happening before and after until you figure out when mating happens, and we don't know yet. We haven't seen that, hmm. uh, but it's happening because there's more calves all the time. Yeah, absolutely. The the uh, I'll, I'll keep this as G-rated as I can. Okay. The 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 whales that you see mating a lot have large uh, testes weight, uh-huh. sometimes three percent of body weight, gigantic. Mm-hmm. Humpbacks are point oh one six. They're they're quite small in the scheme of things. So probably whatever they're doing is quite quick. Maybe underwater, but we don't know. You know, it it, know. it 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 is. It's really nice that there's still mountains to climb and things to see. So much to learn. When we're going out, you're going out and you're trying to answer a question. You're trying to get skin samples or IDs or recordings, but you also bump into things that surprise you. And I think that's probably what's going to happen. Someone on a whale watching boat or flying a drone or some researcher looking at something else is going to look down there and see it. And uh, but it may be fairly quick. I, I just don't know. It's not something. It's not something we're out looking for. But uh, whatever's going on as far as mating and having calves, it's working very well because we're seeing lots and lots of babies out there. Do whales sleep? Yes, not like us. You can't. You can't make them unconscious. They're conscious breathers. One of the things that Lily did years and years ago is he tried to anesthetize dolphins, and they die. If you knock them out, they die. So it's a, it's a, it's a, I guess you a pr- profound resting. You see, uh, singers are down for about twenty minutes or so at a time. Some females we had down up to forty-five minutes, and they're yeah. just holding still, barely twitching, barely moving, and and they're you know they're they're resting or whatever they're doing. They're 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 not not uh, uh, swimming around. Uh, they're meditating. They're so, it could. Well, <laughs> I, I go there. I, I go there waiting until they, they get to be the right time for mating. And Linda goes there. They're 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 uh, doing telepathic love poetry. So it's somewhere oh, there in between. We go. I like that. <laughs> you know? I like that. I can do that. I'm going to do a book of telepathic love poetry of whales. <laughs> I could do that. That's funny. That's, the, that's good. They inspire. I like, I like they inspire all kinds of things. I like your wife. <laughs> I, right now, I think that's a brilliant concept. Yeah. Brilliant concept. So, so you know, there's these things that, um, you know, as an explorer and adventure, and, and of course the National Geographic has a whole cadre of explorers and adventures. Yeah. There's, you know, only a few things left in the world to explore and adventure as we're going to outer space more and more out there. But, you know, you know you're going to places where the explorers and adventures go, Galapagos with National yes, Geographic, yes. you know, to places that are very, very unusual. But the world's become smaller. Yes. And there's more and more people wanting to adventure tours. Yes. So it's not as extreme as it used to be yep. at all. So now when you go out there, 
you probably have people who've done it. You know, you said you've done it maybe Galapagos nine times. Uh, a little bit more, but yeah. It, 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 and so it, people are doing this well, more th- now. Th- you know, it's I more think it, available. It is, and and the facilities where there's a we, we I work in the Arctic, so I'll take people up to the Arctic, uh, and. Uh, you know, seeing those places that people are talking about, I think people are just curious. And there are more and more uh, ships at all levels, uh, ships with helicopters and submarines and things going different places. But I think people want to see some people have more uh, time and fitness and other people have more money and less time. Yeah. And there's all kinds of ways to look at these places. Mm-hmm. We've got to bring up climate change because – you know, here's a you, you, you're talking Alaska. Sure. You're talking the Arctic. You've seen it, and you've been in this field for ages. You know, forty years at least, forty five. What have you seen different as far as the different um, climate changes and what you've seen in the different Well, we live in, in, in Juneau, Alaska, and our glacier, the Mendenhall Glacier, is leaving Mendenhall Lake. It's been a, been it? on the lake as long as I've been going up there, but yeah. it's it's leaving right now. So there's certain, you know, it, it's hard. I, I'm, I, I did a trip through the Northwest Passage last year on the big cruise ship. Oh, you did that one. I was lecturing on that ship. Oh, my and, gosh. You got to go that well, way? And, and, and going through there and having a 1,000 people who, who have heard all the news looking yeah. to see what's going on. I was up there again this year on a private yacht. And, and uh, you know, somewhere to, again, take what people think the story is yeah. and, and, and see what's going on right now. And, and I think the trends are very disturbing and very, very scary. What's happening right now I think it's great if people can go look for themselves. It is. It is. Uh, uh, I, I suggested a story as a tongue-in-cheek, going, "Who are the winners of climate change? Climate change is a big, complicated thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and some some places will grow food they couldn't grow before. Some animals will thrive where they couldn't. At the same time, it's really scary talking about diseases being let go through the permafrost. Mm-hmm. So it's it's. Somewhere, I don't care what it is, but if you're getting excited from the news, from the Internet, or from fundraising, please, think about what you know about the radio business or whatever it is and how media handles it. And realize they handle everything else the same way. Mm-hmm. And if you can take a little more time and look into peer-reviewed science and what's really going on, it's just it's more interesting. Almost everything is more interesting than, than the quick presentation of it. Well, that's a good way of putting it. Of course, by being able to be on that, it was actually a groundbreaking cruise that it was at, for the first time. A and, cruise, and, what and, ship and you, was that? The Crystal Serenity. Oh, right. And you couldn't have done that most years. And still, the, the, the number of weeks when you can do that it's a very small window. I was up this year at the end of July, and there was lots of ice and lots of wildlife, and it was great, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't mean the issues aren't there. It doesn't mean they're getting – but it's not it, – it's, it's, it's still modeling and predictions of things coming along. If you went up – on that trip, we saw walruses and narwhals mm-hmm. and polar bears, and, and, and it was – we'd sit for three days in a little area with ice everywhere and, and beautiful wildlife where that – compares to what it was 10 years ago i don't know the science and those long-term studies but it's but it's it's long-term studies and it's good science to give you the real information and i hope people enjoy digging into it more i think that's an important issue look into it beyond the the headline news so where did you leave on that trip where did the, the ship cruise leave uh, uh, the, the, we, the Serenity, we got on at, in uh, Seward, Alaska, went through the Aleutians, 
went up the, the Bering Sea and across the top and ended up in New York City. Wow. 32 days. Wow. That must have been a trip of a lifetime. It was. It was and that's a, one of the top, very top cruise lines. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd, I'd never had chamber music at dinner before when I was working in the Arctic. Isn't that <laughs> but, amazing? But, and, and you're weighing that for most of my work was done in a tent for two months living on a flow head. So it's different kinds of stuff. What kind of shore excursions did you do? What? What kind of shore excursions did you do on that one? Well, we did. We took people in, in Zodiacs. I mean, it was great. Uh, we, we work part-time for a company that takes people off. And, uh-huh. and, and we take up to 800 people into an Inuit village, but in small groups, uh-huh. never more than 150 at a time. Uh-huh. And, and, and it was really great. They're going in and meeting local people, you know, find out what it's like to make bannock, you know, bread, bread and things, what the Indians are doing, Inuit are doing. They'd go into the communities and see art that they'd made and talk to local folks. It was uh, – I guess the scary thing for me with big cruise ships is whether it stays like that or yeah. whether it gets replaced with their own sails and stuff. But right. it was it was very positive. I think people were were uh, a third of the people were really into the natural history part of it. But it's a thousand people. There are people taking dance lessons, and it's a completely different kind of experience. But it was it was not negative. It's kind of mind blowing, really. I mean, because I'd heard about that one, and for you to be able to be there. And be a part of that's amazing. Well, and I, you know, and and I think that's a great thing. We, we the, the we back to the lineup of the people coming this yes. weekend. Yes, all of them are explorers. All yeah. of them have lots of information beyond just what they're talking about. And the the talks are an introduction, but track them down, talk to them, ask your questions. You know, I think well, you can do be, that on the cruises if you go on the you know, whale watch. The, and that's exactly the, most of my cruises are two weeks, and it's great because you. If if you want to get into something, you might want to spend a lot a lot, a lot of time in a general talk. Yeah. But they want to talk about something that's more controversial. Buy me a cup of coffee. We'll talk about it. So this is starting this Friday, folks. So it's really, really, really right around the corner, and um, it's it's an amazing opportunity to have experiences and to learn and to go on the benefit whale watches and to see the art expos. And there's going to be brown bag lunches with Dr. Jim Darling on uh, Saturday at the Ritz. And um, and the Sunday presentations, and there's a lot going on that you really probably should go to the the site to to find out more about because um, you can go into detail there, and that's whaletrust.org, whaletrust.org. And again, remember, on Monday it's going to be up at the Hyatt Regency, and there'll be some very special screenings, the Big Pacific, um, which is featured on PBS, and uh, a film screening of Ray's Freeman's Dream Big Engineering Our World and their film preview of Disney Nature's Dolphins. And so this is um, a big weekend, and I, I always look forward to talking to you, Flip. I mean, you have fascinating stories. Uh, I, I love just hearing some of your stories, and, of course, the stories go on and on and on. But people can also look on Amazon and see his um, four or five books that are at least there on Amazon, the dolphin and the whale ones, and amazing photographs. I mean, it just uh, it's always a treat to have you come in studio and uh, have a chance to talk one-on-one with you. And, and please, track me down. If you want to meet one of the people or talk about stories, I'm happy to talk to whoever's there and, and look forward to this weekend. Yeah, d- uh, Dr. Jim Darley, Dr. John Ford, Christine Gabriel, President of Hawaii Marine Mammal Consortium, and Ralph Lee Hopkins and more. Um, great experiences, wonderful times, and um, a chance for you to really get to uh, get to know parts of the world and our backyard in ways you may never have known or thought about before and to celebrate um, the whales as well which is wonderful we're so blessed yeah 
We are truly blessed. Um, also, I do want to tell people they can go to find out more about Portugal. On our trip to Portugal, they go to Kathy Takeshi. Kathy Takushi from Captivating Journey. Her website's captivatingjourneys.com, or they can call her at 244-1414-244-1414. That trip's coming up in October. It's an amazing deal. And she has one cabin available on an amazing trip that's coming up real soon to Egypt as well. I want to thank everyone for listening. I'll be back tomorrow here, and we'll see you then. Aloha.